After being a primary caregiver for her mother for over six years, author Lynn Abate Johnson understands the typhoon of emotions and responsibilities that come with caring for a loved one. How many of you have been in that position as well? Lynn struggled with making the right decisions. She had to juggle caregiving duties with a full-time career and wondered how she would thrive after her mom was gone. Also dealing with that sadness. Many listeners have these questions and today Lynn is here to help. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. I'm so excited to have you here today, Lynn. So welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. It's really great to be here. My first question to you is, when did you realize, because I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that when our parents are aging, and we probably know intuitively that at some point we are going to be their caregivers. And that affects, I think, many of us in different ways. So when did you realize that you needed to be your mom's caregiver and how did that affect you? That's a really good question, Carol, because I um, I had a different experience. Like I was under the illusion that my mom was going to live forever. <laughs> <laughs> and she was so healthy and so vibrant and... Um, in fact, it, it was kind of a running joke with her oncologist who always used to say, wow, you're healthy as a horse except for this cancer thing. Oh, my word. And so she was she, she was she was going to live forever. She got diagnosed when she was um, I think she was 74 and she had the BRCA2 gene, but we never knew that we never had any cancer in our family. So this came out of the blue like. It was what I call being thrust into the role of being an all of a sudden caregiver without any prior knowledge or information or experience. Nobody in our family had ever had any catastrophic or, uh, you know, life threatening illness diagnosed. And so she was as she was in her life and in her death, she was paving the way for many, many of us who learned through her experience what it's like to be that sick and to be uh, dying from something that you cannot control. You can mitigate certain things, but you can't control it. So really, I'd say that I realized it 
when we got that diagnosis of ovarian cancer stage 3C in 2011, early 2011, and then she died in May of 2017. So wow. fortunate. That yeah, was a so long time. It was a long time for that diagnosis. She beat all the odds. And if she, she probably would not have gotten cancer if she didn't have that BRCA2 gene. So she was on a mission while she was still alive. And even now, you know, I carry the message through for people to get tested. If there's any history, we didn't have any history. In fact, the genetic specialist, when she came into the, the doctor came into the uh, chemo room on the very first day and said, hi, we're going to test you for genetics. And given all of my mother's history that we had just given this doctor, the doctor said, I will be shocked if you come back with any genetic issues or any genetic mutations. And lo and behold, two weeks later, that doctor was shocked because my mom had the BRCA2 gene, um, which has very, very high percentages. The statistics are staggering for women and men, but women primarily to develop either breast cancer or ovarian cancer in their 40s. And here it was, my mom was 74, and she never, never got uh, any kind of diagnosis until then. In fact, you know, it's very clear that one of my mom's parents, my grandparents, carried that genetic mutation, but it never manifested as cancer. They, neither one of them died of any kind of cancer. She got the cancer, and she had the, the genetic mutation that determined that she would get the cancer. And she could have also lived and died without ever getting cancer. She happened to get it. And neither one of my grandparents did. My mom's from a family of eight children. So um, she was the oldest daughter of a big, big family of siblings. So once she found out she had that genetic mutation, she kind of went on the warpath to get all of her siblings to test themselves. And then if they tested positive, to get their children to test for it. So um, consequently, you know, a lot of my cousins and aunts and uncles received information about yes, their yes, own yes. their own genetic mutations. And so now they can be more proactive about um, how they take care of themselves and also shut down the expression of that genetic mutation. Because obviously, like in my grandparents' case, you can shut it down too. You don't have to get cancer just because you have that. How is it shut down? How do you shut it down? Well, there's a lot, a lot of research on epigenetics. Epigenetics is an amazing study of um, how we can take better care of our health in general. Nutrition is a big, big thing. Mm -hmm. Anti-inflammatory, um, gut healthy uh, foods, you know, and, and yep really keeping the inflammation away from you because there are so many, this is another thing that we learned during those six years. And, and even since then, I've proven it to myself that inflammation is the cause of so many diseases. There are, you know, diabetes is an inflammatory disease. Arthritis is an yep. inflammatory disease. Um, I've even read that diseases like depression are inflammatory diseases. So, 
what I've been practicing since my mom died is really taking better care of myself. I tested negative, so I do not have the BRCA2 genetic mutation, fortunately. However, I still believe that, and I was just talking to my husband about this the other day because we both are eating very differently than we did, you know, Uh five, six uh years ago. And I said, you know, there's no guarantee that we're never going to get sick or get cancer or anything like that. However, what we're doing is we're making it a very unfriendly environment in our bodies, in our systems. Right. right. And so cancer loves sugar, for example. We learned that cancer thrives on sugar. And so those were things that we never would have known. And it's one of what I call the gifts of my mom having gotten this horrible disease is that we learned how everything is connected in our systems, in our bodies, in our brains, our guts, you know, they call your, they call our guts, our second brain. That's right. It just controls so much. And so, yeah, it's been an opportunity for us to choose um, how to take better care of ourselves since my mom, you know, had the cancer and eventually died from that. I really appreciate you sharing that because I was diagnosed with cancer when I was in my 20s and I was told hysterectomy or death Mm -hmm. and I did I chose neither (laughs) yeah instead I decided to turn my life around through nutrition so Mm -hmm. I am completely relating as I'm sure many in the audience are as well Mm -hmm. and here I am in total and complete health you know more than 50 years later and so you can turn that around and I really sincerely thank you for sharing that part of your story. You're welcome. Now regarding the caregiving activities, let's let's talk a little bit about because I know the audience will relate in many different uh, on many different levels regarding caregiving, what's involved, um, the time factor, uh, how, how you juggle these duties with your own career and how intensive was that? Well, it was very intensive and intense. (laughs) It was all consuming at the beginning. Um, Since we didn't have any prior experience, um, as I mentioned before, with any any close family members getting sick or even in any accidents or anything where we had to jump in and be caregivers, Uh we had to figure it out on our own. And fortunately, my mom was a very smart, savvy entrepreneur, businesswoman herself. And she was very big on um, creating systems and structures. And so that's what we did. We created basically a business out of her diagnosis. So (laughs) yeah. And, you know, being a high productivity Uh, oriented family, that was the only way that was going to happen with my mom being the patient. We were, um, we were destined to figure it out logistically while we were grappling with our uh, heavy emotional loads. And I really appreciated that my mom raised us and I'm her firstborn. So I'm the oldest of five. And so naturally I was responsible. I thought I was, you know, solely responsible at times, but, you know, I've learned since then that's not the truth. Hmm. And um, created these systems 
around the daily logistics of taking care of her and making sure that she was comfortable, making sure she was well-fed, making sure her appointments and her lab reports and all of those everyday logistical things were being taken care of. That way, you know, while we were grappling with our emotional sides of ourselves, we could do that. Although there wasn't, I admit, there wasn't very much uh, drama around it. My mom was very pragmatic. Mm. Um, I, if I if I cried, I kept it kind of hidden from her and from my siblings oh. and my nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. And I would stay with her all during the week and then I would go home on the weekends and fall apart uh, with my husband. And so mm. I don't know if I even, in all those six years, I maybe saw my mom cry twice. And so... She never felt like a victim. She never acted like a victim. She didn't complain. She would say, at, well, at the end when the doctor said, that's it, no more chemo, like everything was falling apart in her body. It was very interesting that that's the way that our family approached her illness. And and it worked. It worked really well, except for the fact that I was trying to juggle a full-time job and Uh. I was also showing up for work. I worked mostly remotely, but I, I did work in the Silicon Valley. So, um, and for a internet startup. And so it was a little bit of a high stress production mode kind of atmosphere at work. And so I did not trust the people that I worked with enough. Well, especially the bosses because they didn't really know me well so I just kept it to myself. I I basically compartmentalized and I did not let my work life influence my personal life and vice versa. So and I'm here to tell you today, Carol, that didn't work. That <laughs> did not work. It just was, uh, you know, all it did was mess up my nervous system. Really? Yeah. And, you know, having to basically live a double life and pretend like everything was normal at home, which it wasn't. I would be working remotely from hospital rooms and, you know, surgery waiting rooms and all kinds of places that work never knew where I was because I was working remotely. Of course. Yeah. If I was turning in good work, which I always did, then they didn't need to know any different. And so that that piece of it, I learned later on. I've learned in the last few years, actually. You know, I'm now with a company that actually they encourage and they they want us to show up as our whole selves authentically, vulnerably. And so I would never dream of keeping that information from the company culture that I'm in today. However, back then, I really didn't know any better. I would go without sleep. I would go without meals, um, you know, basically starving my body for nourishment and then binging on sugar drinks, sweet coffees, you know. And so I really didn't do myself any favors at the time because ironically, here you are, you're trying to take care of a loved one and yet you're destroying your own mental and physical health in the process. And so what I'm here today to reflect back on and what I write about in the book is how did I figure that out? And 
how am I today? And that also the message is that there's hope for anyone to turn their lives around and transform some very old and well-held paradigms that I just, I've had to choose, you know, do I need to be in charge of everything and everybody? Do I need to control everything and everybody? Can I sit back and let somebody else help? Uh, can I get curious? And those are the things that I practice now is curiosity, asking for help. And do you um, have a program that you like maybe incorporated into your book or explain that a little bit? Yeah, I um, I have help. You know, I have a coach that I work with. I have a nutritionist that I work with. I have my um, workouts, you know, four times a week online that I can do in between my working hours, which is really great because those things are non-negotiable. Making my own food at home instead of eating out all the time, those things are non-negotiable now. But back then... If I had to let something go, I would let myself go. I would let Oh the, yes. <laughs> I would let the nutrition go. Right, right. I would let the workouts. Oh, I don't have to show up for that. The things that I would not let go of were showing up for work and getting that paycheck and also making sure that my mom was taken care of. So self-care and self-love were mm. <laughs> out the door, out the window. <laughs> okay. Like non-existent really um and I I had to learn that gradually. Now, that's a lot of what I put in the book is those very, very honest um, descriptions of what it was like for me at the time. And then what I've learned since then, it's really a reflection. The book is really a conversation starter to let people know that if they're in that situation, and they're experiencing this particular circumstance, or that particular circumstance, this is how I viewed it at the time. And this is how I view it in hindsight, now that I'm away from the situation. That was so aptly put. And I appreciate that. And I know that people can relate to precisely the same thing that you were going through. And to be able to help them is a gift. And I thank you for that. And what we're going to do is take a very quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about burnout and possibly guilt. So think about that and we will be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. So let's talk about the two things that I mentioned before the break, how did you avoid burnout? And were you dealing with guilt? Two very different things, but I'm sure that you can address them. Yes, and I, I talk about this in the book uh, in lots of different ways. Um, you know, burnout is something that I don't think is 
uh, avoidable in most family caregiver situations. You know, look, you're like most of the time in our case in with my mom, we we didn't know what we were doing. We were figuring it out. As we say at work, we're building the plane as we fly it. And so, yeah, we had to, I think that the, the tools and the systems that we created really did help us if you're if you're going to really call it anything it it was really uh it really saved our mental capacity our emotional capacity to be able to have those tools and those resources in place and to always be able to tweak them so that's why i've offered those in the book and anybody can take them and copy them and make them their own oh wonderful yeah so i really wanted to share those um, because I know, I know that everyday minutiae that we get caught up in is just too much. It's just too much sometimes when you're trying to juggle so, so many other things. And guilt, shame, uh, resentment, like you name it, it was there. It's in the book. I talk about all kinds of family dysfunction that comes up around a parent who's sick and dying and then after their death, what happens? And, you know, my whole point is to normalize these things so that other people don't feel so alone in their journeys. And I really had to learn how to lead myself and how to lead in my family without it being all-consuming and really detrimental to me and and my health and you know I remember joking with my mom because I didn't really sleep especially that first year I I hardly slept at all I really want to make the point that um there is help there are things that you can do to to mitigate um that exhaustion And over the period of six years, you know, that was a gift that my mom lasted that long. Yes, exactly. I used to joke that, Mom, your cancer is going to kill me. (laughs) I mean, I I would say to her, because I'd be, you know, imploring with my mom to let us hire some help. Let us bring in some other helpers and pay them. My mom did not want to do that. She said, no, I, you, you like, you know, the way that I like things. And I would say, yeah, but mom, I have to go home. I have to sleep. I have to eat right. And so we figured out, especially over those six years, like I said, that was such a gift that we had those six years because what a difference. You know, so many people don't get that opportunity. I mean, my husband's dad died at 55 of a heart attack, massive heart attack. Boom. He was gone in, you know, minutes. Uh. I have other friends whose, you know, mom's got cancer or some other kind of horrible disease and, and they didn't even last a month or a year. So there are all of these circumstances and situations that I'm so much more aware of today. And that's why I call my book a, a conversation starter because it's a place for other family caregivers to be reassured, to feel like they're, like they have a buddy, like they have uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. someone who's friend. been there. Yeah, like, like, and, you know, if I can make it through this, 
you know, my mom died, but I didn't die. Right. And right. the first year I thought I would die. Um, I couldn't imagine my world without my mom in it. And, you know, as confident as I can show up in the world today, you know, in my friendship circles, in my family, in my work life, yeah, I'm confident. And yes, I I will own that I am a leader and I'm experienced and all of that. And there's still that little girl inside me who really misses her mom. Right. Of course. And when things are, you know, going wrong or I'm feeling alone or I, I'm feeling at all ganged up on or anything like that, who do I want? I want my mom. I, I know that's a universal feeling for so uh-huh. many of us. And what I've had to learn over all of these years is to be kind of my own mother, to mother myself. Oh, that's and good. You know how you talk to yourself and I, I've always said that if I talk to other people the way that I talk to myself sometimes, you know, that inner voice, that saboteur, I wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> Good point. Like, nobody would want to <laughs> hang around with me if I was as mean to them as I am to myself sometimes. Another excellent point. Yes. For right? sure. Yes. And so if you start to practice mothering yourself. And that's what I'm practicing now. You know, looking at myself in the mirror and saying, I love you, Lynn, or calling myself sweetie or honey or, or reassuring myself like my mom used to do. It's all going to be okay. Don't worry. It'll all be okay. That is so reassuring. And even I know it's coming from me. And it's still reassuring for me that I'm able to self-soothe in a way. You know, I've had to learn that because I didn't grow up learning that. And so learning to mother yourself, whether no matter who you are, I mean, fortunately, I had a mom who was present and who was available. Um, and I had, you know, because I'm her firstborn Maybe I had a tumultuous relationship with her. And I write about this in the book, too. You know, I mean, let's get real. I was probably Uh I was the closest in age to her and I was probably the most like her in terms of being so headstrong and type A and controlling, like thinking I could figure everything out Uh and I could do it all by myself and I didn't need anybody. Well, those things are great qualities to an extent, and yet they don't translate really well to being in powerful relationships with other people. I have also learned to, you know, take what my mom gave me and accept that I really there are, and that's why I work with a coach, that accepting those parts of myself that I can now develop into, you know, even better kind of leadership qualities of leading without being over responsible, leading without trying to control every detail of everything. And so there have been some pretty powerful paradox, you know, shifts or paradigm shifts, Mm -hmm. I would say. Yes. Out of paradox. So there's the paradox, right, that I used to think was so bad. I used to think, How can you believe one thing and also believe something else? Well, 
now instead of a, uh, or, or like canceling something out because it, it really doesn't make sense. There can be a both and so this can be true. And then at the same time, that can be true. Like I can love my mother and I can also want her to drink her water, not eat sugar, do her exercises and be kind of mean about it. And so <laughs> like she would say to me, you know, no, I don't want that. And I'd say, mom, if the situation were reversed and I were the one that had cancer That's and is right. dying, you would force feed me and you would take all the sugar out of the house and you would make me extra, you would make me do this stuff. So I basically learned how to mother you from you mothering me. <laughs> right. Now, one of the things as you were talking, that I was thinking is the tools that you are talking about can also be used in many other types of circumstances. There are people who take care of, for example, disabled children or a disabled husband, and they aren't necessarily sick, but they they need full-time care. Do you address that as well in your book? I don't because um, I think it's implied in my book that okay. these are systems and structures that you can use. I don't have any firsthand knowledge. And so I wrote about what my of lived course. experience is. This is the funny thing that's happened since the book came out is I'm hearing those exact stories from so many other people that they can relate to this just from a different angle, just from a different circumstance and a different life experience. So yes, it's very applicable to any kind of caregiving scenario. Okay. And that's why I'm going into um, different places where um, people have family members that are coming in to either visit them or or make sure that, you know, everything is kind of going well. And, you know, I had one lady write to me that said, oh, my gosh, this reminded me of when my son was born and he was in the hospital for the first three months of his life. And these tools that you're providing would have really helped me at that time. So it's really universal. The circumstance, the, the specific circumstance matters a lot less than the fact that we have loved ones who need care for whatever reason and whatever season. It doesn't matter how long or how short um, the period of time is. We all need some practical resources and tools. And so that's why really happy to be able to offer these things. Just as your dear mom, Rosemary Ann Hakeem, mm -hmm. also known as Rara, would say if she were still with us, mm -hmm. out of love, you learned how to be a caregiver. Out of necessity, you created systems and tools that supported the daily tasks inherent in caring for someone with a life-threatening disease. During the six years of your mom's illness, you journaled daily. I like, I, I'd like you to address that a little bit too. Mm -hmm. And in the aftermath of her death, you were able to see the vital lessons those years taught you. In your daily life, you are a business consultant and community builder. And the life of a caregiver was unfamiliar to you, but somehow you figured it out. 
And I like that too. I, I want to reassure people that whatever part of this journey they're on, there is help. And there's a lot more help now and support than there was in 2011. Uh-huh. In the book and even on my website, I'm constantly updating on the website for sure, not necessarily in the book, the resources that people can go to. You know, there are so many yes. different modalities of how people can get help and what resonates with me is not necessarily going to resonate with somebody else. And so I like to provide, you know, the variety. And I also like to reassure people that even in the most ugly, messy of circumstances, there's still some hope. There's still humor. Um, There are parts of of the book that I'm a little bit irreverent. So, you know, it's a heavy, it's a heavy subject. When you have a heavy subject like that, a lot of times there's not a lot of room for joking around. Well, I made it my business to (laughs) joke around as much as I possibly could because I love to laugh and I love to lighten things up whenever possible. And I wrote the daily journal Um, for the sole purpose of communicating my mom's daily activities Mm. and situation with her many, many, we come from a big ethnic family. My mom uh, was one of eight children. And so she had all kinds of aunts, uncles, siblings, cousins, nieces, and nephews, and people who were long, uh, a long distance away. And they wanted information and they wanted it right now. And they wanted every gory detail. And so the journal was an online way for people to create their little login and read Uh what was going on. And so that journal focused only on my mom. I never really said, my mom's doing this and this and this. Today is her big surgery for this. And then I never, I only focused on her. So I wanted to be very careful not to make it about me or, or my siblings. Right. It was just kind of like reporting the news, like, here's what's going on. And so I would write funny little things like, yeah, after her surgery in the hospital room, you know, my sister had her on the toilet and then she went to get up off the toilet and she fell over and fell in the garbage can. And it was one of those funny moments (laughs) that we all, I was there. I was, I was not in the bathroom. I was just sitting on the bed waiting for her to get out of the bathroom with my sister And she didn't get hurt or anything, but it was just one of those hilarious moments. And so the family members would comment on those journal entries every day Uh on the website. And one of the comments was, Lynn, we thought that we were going to have to console or, you know, help you feel better or feel sorry for you or whatever, but you're making us laugh. And So I thought, oh, good, I'm making them laugh. Like, then they won't be so worried about my mom. And my mom, my mom didn't even know what was going on uh, a lot of that first year. You know, she was having the big surgery and then she was having chemo and that almost killed her that first year. She wasted away to 79 pounds. Oh, my goodness. And um, she was already a really petite person. But, you know, still 79 pounds, she looked like a skeleton Hmm. and she could not walk. And we, at one point we could not medically care for her at home because she was just too unstable. 
So that was the one time that we had to find a place for her to stay for 24-7 around-the-clock care. And that lasted maybe two months. Can't even remember now. It was in 2011. So here's what happened. I thought originally those journal entries were going to be the book. I thought, oh, right, of course. You know, yeah. I had 600 pages by the time. Oh my goodness. I know. My sister downloaded a PDF from the website. It was 600 pages, Carol. And I just thought, no, 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 no. This is like really long and boring, and all of the gory details are in there about, you know, her blood work and uh-huh, all of that uh-huh. stuff. People don't, I mean, I know people like to read other people's diaries, but this is a little bit much. So. <laughs> Through my coach, actually, I chose to make the book about me and not about my mom. And so the book has the journal entries at the beginning of each chapter, and they're very, 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 you know, abbreviated. They are edited down just to give the gist of what was going on in that day. But then after that short journal entry in each chapter of the book is my story about my transformation, and what I was thinking at the time when I was in it, and then what I've learned since then. And so now it's more valuable, I feel, to the reader because it has some redemption there. When somebody makes a choice to not die because their mother died or to not uh, let their health go completely. I mean, I did. I went went pretty far. I was... um, I was about 60 pounds more weight on my body because I was literally carrying the weight Uh of the uh world uh um, than I am today. However, that was just a small piece of of the way that I was kind of whittling away at my health. So this book, I really think it can give people hope. And then, of course, I have um, there's a little call to action or a little thought prompter at the at the end of each chapter. Perfect along with a quote that has inspired me. And then if you get the paper copy or the ebook, you get the photos. Um, we now have an audio book too, but those, the audio book, of course, doesn't have the photos. But if you get the paper book or the ebook, you see some of those photos of my mom looking like a skeleton and me mm. looking like as big as a house standing next to her because she was very petite and I'm not. And so <laughs> we look like, yeah, it was like... Uh, two sides, you know, of the same coin, but opposite, you know, body structures. And so and it, it was interesting because there I was mothering my mother. Yes. So that was quite a, a shift in our relationship. And, and I write about that. And it wasn't always easy. You know, when my mom's hair started to grow back in, she went bald during chemo. And my mom always dyed her hair It was always brunette. And so when she started going gray, she refused. And so she was dyeing her hair all the time. Well, when it fell out and then started growing back in, she decided she wasn't going to dye it anymore. So I ended up, you know, experiencing my mom looking like uh, looking her age. Uh, Right. uh And, um, you know, because we would go out and people would mistake us for sisters. And so that was a another very strange shift in my thinking um, to see my mom aging and slowing down. Right, right. And I, it freaked me out when she wasn't bossing me around. I was very uncomfortable with that because I was used to her being large and in charge and 
you know, that small but mighty person. What I appreciated about what you are sharing about your book is that it's a story and it does not have to be read just by caregivers. Mm -hmm. I think it's an emotional story. I think it's a practical story. And I think it's a story that many people would, even if they don't relate, would enjoy. Would you agree with me? I've heard feedback to that effect. And in fact, I wrote my book purposely to be bite-sized. So, because I know my audience of the family caregiver doesn't always have time to read a book cover to cover. And I don't typically read a book cover to cover. So many of the chapters are very short, very bite-sized. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And some of them are longer when I felt like I had more to say. It kind of organically Uh came through me. And yes, I think there's some universal appeal because unfortunately, I always say this is a book that I wish nobody needed. And yet... Good point. Right? Like, I wish nobody needed this book. And yet I wish I would have had it at the time that I was going through it. And for the moral support alone, it's worth it. And I think that every single one of us as human beings at some point in our lives is going to be touched because we're all kind of sandwiched in between generations, right? So many of my friends have children and grandchildren now, and they have aging parents. That's right. And that was a great summary. I really appreciate how you put that. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank you for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. And is there any word of encouragement that you would like to leave with the audience? Well, I would, I love the title of your podcast for sure. And I know that my mom, when I was in the most depths of, you know, feeling sad or like something wasn't going my way or like I was a failure, my mom would say to me, don't worry, honey, it's all going to be okay. And that's what I want to say to all of those family caregivers and Um, Also, there's a free gift I know that's going to appear magically in your show notes for your listeners. And I really hope that this is something that starts really authentic conversations between other family caregivers. I have a platform online. It's not a social media platform, but it's a community that we're building by and for other family caregivers. And I know the link to that will also be in your show notes. Oh, so that's wonderful. Good. It's a great, you know, it's a great thing to build community around something like this. Um, and I think that it's happening more and more. So I'm really, really glad about that. Not just with my book, but with so many other people who are sharing their experiences too. Well, thank you again. It has been a pleasure. You've touched me I lost my mom when I was a teenager, Mm. and I watched her suffer and die Um, as a teenager, of course. I wasn't wasn't a caregiver, but Mm -hmm. I can relate to many of the things, and people are going to relate in many ways as they listen to your story. Thank you again for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, 
If you are still here, there is always hope.